All right, good morning, everybody. Hope you're having a wonderful week. Actually, we're just starting the week, aren't we? This is the first day of the week. So you know what? I usually say, hope you had a great week. This is Sunday, first day of the week. Let's make a decision this morning that we're going to have a great week, all right? That we're going to have an awesome week. It's going to be filled with all good things for us. All right, let's take our Bible this morning. I want to begin over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. And as I told you last Sunday morning, if you were with me or you happen to watch the YouTube teaching during the week, we're going to start our, our swim out into some deeper, deeper waters this morning. But before we get out there, I want to kind of bottom line for you what I think is going on in the earth today, right? There is so much going on spiritually, so much going on politically. I mean, everything that can be shaken is being shaken. But in the kingdom of God, which is what we're concerned about, the king's domain, which we talked about, spent the whole last, last Sunday morning talking about username, password, and how to navigate and surf the kingdom once you're in it. So let's just talk about the kingdom of God. What's going on in the kingdom? What I see going on in the kingdom is this. I see a gigantic move by the Spirit of God to take us fully out of soul. Mind, will, and emotion. Totally out of soul. And he's, he's moving us fully into spirit. Seeing by spirit, living by spirit, hearing by spirit, functioning by spirit. And that carries, as, as we make that transition, that carries a lot of ramifications. Some of the ramifications it's going gonna, it's gonna to encroach on, and I, don't, I hope you're ready for this. Some of the ramifications of moving fully into spirit is that we're not going to be subject to time or death. I'll talk about that in about four or five weeks, but let me build up to it. But I want you to understand what's going on in your life is he's, he's breaking every bond He's snipping every, every tie that you've got that has come to you that you're now held in check by to this world. And he's moving you into a walk of spirit. Spirit of truth is systematically freeing us and cutting every bond that you have to this world. And he's elevating your consciousness. Have you noticed that? He's filling your consciousness with spirit consciousness. When, when situations come up, you have to make decisions. You're starting not to think out of here. You're starting to think out of here. And sometimes what you feel out of here is different than what this is telling you because this right here, your mind is fighting to retain dominion and domination of your life. But we're learning how to, how to hear out of our spirit. And as, as he cuts the cords that we have, they're still holding us to this dimension. As those cords are cut, it'll become progressively easier to hear and move by spirit. I mean, we have progressed a long way. Think about every, how far you have come. Let me recap for you where, where most of you have lived your life. Let me show you where you came from. You know, I spent a lot of years in, in the first level. The first level was living for Jesus. Remember that? Remember how it was to live for Jesus? Everything you did, you wanted to make him happy? Want to make him please? It was, it was filled with lots of work, lots of effort. Uh, uh, it was, a, it was a kind of a merry ministry. We wanted to make sure we, we weren't, we didn't, we didn't spend the time like Martha at his feet learning and absorbing. We were out in the kitchen making sandwiches that Jesus never asked for. And that's how we kind of lived our life. We wanted to please Jesus. We were living for Jesus. And, and the whole message was, 
Every, look at all that Jesus has done for us. Now what are you going to do for him? The least you can do is give him your life. So we spent a life in works. And that kind of progressed into a life where Jesus was living through us. That kind of was in the 90s, in the early 2000s, Jesus living through us. And the whole message was about becoming a fit instrument, wanting to clear, clean ourselves, cleanse ourselves, make sure we're, we're pure, we're free from sin, because Jesus is living through you. We all had bracelets that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And we wanted to do what Jesus would do because Jesus was living through us. Now we've come up to another dimension because the Spirit of God has been snipping things and, and creating us and we're still on that potter's wheel and He's forming us. We've moved from living for Jesus, we've moved from Jesus living through us to where now today we're living the Christ as us life. And that verse over in 1 John 4, 17 has, has become alive. It has, it has become revelation. And we're seeing fully that as he is, so are we in this world. And so we ask ourselves, how is he? And however he is, that's how we is. <laughs> you is how he is. And, and Paul brought us some tremendous insight into that. And that's what I want to begin to talk about a little bit because we're maturing as sons. We're coming in to a full manifestation as sons of God, as Jesus walked as a son you are destined to be conformed to the same image and walk the same way that he walked. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 that if we are to do that, we have to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I'm presenting you knowledge of God. That's what I do, all right? That's what the digital cathedral is all about. I say, all right, let's... Let's come up to a higher place. Let's, let's get this transcendent life moving. And so I'm bringing you the knowledge of God. But when I do that, there are things that come into your mind that war against that. There are arguments, high things that you've learned in the past. Last week I said one of the things that you're going to have to do is flush your mind out of everything that man has filled it with. Every book, every CD, every YouTube video, at least for temporarily. You got to flush it out and let him fill it back up. Now, some of the things you'll fill back in are things you've learned in the past. That's for sure. But you have to walk into the king's domain in the beginning like Paul did out in the desert, knowing nothing. And admitting that you know nothing. And letting him fill it back up. Notice, notice Paul said, casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That verse is, is dealing totally in the soulish realm. Right? The soulish realm battles your full immersion into spirit. And so you have to, by spirit, take dominion over that which comes of the soul. Those high things that would exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, the imaginations that come. And that's what I want to talk about today, our imaginations. But I want you to see that Paul said, <clears throat> you cast those things down. That is a present progressive tense. It is an ongoing, continual process. This world that we live in, if you watch television, listen to the radio, read any magazine, there are things that are going to come to your mind that will battle and fight and war against the knowledge of God, the spirit-only life, transcendent living, higher consciousness. 
Paul said you cast it down. That means you make them bow their knee. You bring every thought into captivity. You make that thought bow its knee to the burial resurrection of Jesus. That means you, you, you run that thought through the filter Jesus. The kingdom that is within. You don't, you, don't, you don't play with it in your head. You don't debate it in your mind. You cast it down. And it, 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 the, the, the quicker you run it through the Spirit of God or, or the kingdom that is within, the, the quicker you're, you're learning to live in spirit and all soulish ties are being cut off, the, the faster you'll be able to cast it down and you won't spend time debating and arguing with it. One of the major obstacles that tries to keep us from manifesting as sons, from reaching maturity, is the imagination of our mind. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about, the imagination of our minds and what that has created in us. And there's something this morning that I want you to stay with me. Don't, don't turn this off. There's something that we're going to release God from that I think is going to help you a whole lot in your life. But it's going to take me about 10 minutes to get there, all right? One of the things that tries to hold us back is the imaginations that we have in our mind. They continually try to play games with us. The imaginations of our mind try to create perceptions that become our realities. Notice Paul said, cast those down. Your imagination is not to be your reality. But it becomes reality when it becomes first perception. It was the imagination of Adam and Eve that told them, guys, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to attain Godhood. He doesn't want you to be like him. It was the imagination of their mind that said he's holding back from you. He's withholding the best. He's got you living a second-class life. God doesn't want you to be like him. Then it was the imagination of their mind that said, you know what, now that you've fouled up, God's mad at you, God's angry. There's absolutely no scriptural background word in Genesis that ever intimated God was mad or angry with Adam and Eve. We derive that in our imagination because it says he drove them out of the garden. So in our imagination, we've got this mean, angry God who because Adam and Eve disobeyed, now he is fully blasting his wrath on them and driving them out. Actually, he was protecting them. He was demonstrating great love for them. It was their imagination that said, God is angry and God is mad with us. Then it was their imagination that told them, now that we've done this, there's something wrong with us. We better hide from God. We better not be in God's presence. You see what imagination does? Imagination questions your identity. And when it questions your identity, then you feel like you need to get some fig leaves and cover yourself up because you're not all that you should be. And all that comes through imagination. Adam and Eve entertained and they believed imaginations that conflicted with the truth that they already knew about God. What did they already know about God? that God provided for them an entire finished work, the garden. Have you, have, you understood, have you seen that from Scripture? Before God ever put Adam and Eve in the garden, He completely made the work finished. Before God ever put you, oh my goodness, before He ever put you into the kingdom, He set you into a totally finished work. 
All Adam and Eve had to do was walk around the garden picking off the fruit, enjoying the, everything that God had already fully provided for them. They didn't have to pray for it, ask for it, believe for it, have faith for it. All they had to do was walk it in it. God has provided a full work of you, a finished work for you. You don't have to pray for it, beg for it, have faith for it, confess for it, believe for it, receive it. All you have to do is enter it, walk in it. But it's the imaginations of our mind that, that it tries to exalt itself against the knowledge that we have of God. It was, it was an imagination that tried to exalt itself against, against the knowledge they had of God. And what they saw God already provide for them. They had every, what more could they want? The work was finished in the garden. The work has been finished in the kingdom. They believed a lie about God. They believed a lie about themselves. They believed a lie about their position in the garden. So they looked to get from a false source, their mind, what they already had. Hasn't been that been the story of religion all of our life? We have tried to figure out with, you know, four steps to victory, three steps to successful prayer, five ways to become financially successful. We have, we have gone to our mind to try to figure out. It's, it's an imagination. We've gone to our mind to try to figure out how we can get what God already said you have. That's what sin is. Sin is nothing more than trying to fill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. The legitimate need that Adam and Eve felt was to become more like the God that created them. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. However, trying to fill that in an illegitimate way by going to the tree that he said don't go to is where they missed the mark. And we've done the same thing. We've, we've made choices. We've gone to the tree. We've eaten from things we should never have eaten of because God's already provided it, but we don't believe that he has. How many times have I made a choice and a decision to try to attain what the kingdom has already provided and declared done? The king has already given it in the domain. So on our journey to manifesting his sons or living the Christ life, we need to renew our mind this morning to something. Okay, and I want you to get, this, this is going to be hard for some of you. Some of you aren't going to be able to do this. You're going to fall back into old patterns and habits. That's why I said last week you need to let everything go that you've heard and been taught. And then let him add back what he wants to. If Adam and Eve had done what I'm just about ready to tell you, they would have never had a problem. I, will, I bet you've never done this. You've never done what I'm about to tell you. But if you will, it will change your life. It'll change the way you pray. It'll change your outlook. It'll change the way you approach every situation. All right, what are we going to renew our mind to this morning? We're going to free God. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to free the Father from any more requests to give us what the kingdom has already provided. I'll give it a minute. We're going to free the Father from any more requests to give us what the kingdom has already provided. Now, if you don't grasp, if you don't have a hold on grace, if you don't understand the finished work of the cross, if you don't understand unconditional love, you'll never do this. You'll still be trying to figure out ways in your mind 
to talk to God, to bring to you from out there to hear what it is you need. Where's the kingdom, did Jesus say? The kingdom is within you. Oh my. You'll be like Adam and Eve and you'll go to the tree of due to complete what God has already declared done through the tree of life that we have that is called Christ. There's a tree of life that sits right in the middle of the, of the kingdom. And what we have to learn to do is just go to that tree to get what we already have. The truth is this. God has already done through Jesus everything he's going to do. He's not doing it anymore. He's provided everything that he, he's going to provide. Now, if you, can remind, if you can renew your mind to this, it's going to take a lot of spiritual frustration off of your back. You know, like I, I prayed and God didn't, I prayed and God didn't answer. No, God already answered. Well, I asked God to move and he, he didn't move in that situation. No, he's already moved 2,000 years ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, All of the promises in him are yes, completed, amen, finished, done, they're yours. What else is he going to do? The day is done, guys. The day is over. We're, co we're coming in to the manifestation of the sons of God. The day is over trying to convince him or talk him into meeting your needs. The day is done of calling the prayer chain to get what you need to get. The day is done of trying to fill up a stadium and twist God's arm through, through multitudes of people crying and begging and pleading for the same thing. Let me be specific. God's not doing any more for your marriage than he's already done. He's not going to do any more about raising your kids or managing your business or making you healthy. I told you this is going to be hard. Some of you are not going to be able to handle this. He's not coming down from heaven to touch you. He has placed within you a kingdom that has what you need for everything. But rather than listen to his plan, rather than listen to his voice, we want somebody to counsel us. We want somebody to pray with us. We want somebody to speak a word over us. We want somebody to lay hands on us. We want somebody else to prophesy a direction over us. Now look, I... I'm not disparaging any of that. That's all good for babies. But the thing is, you are not a baby. John's, John's talking over in 1 John, and he's, he's telling them what I'm telling you. Look what he says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Do you know what an anointing is actually, basically? An anointing is a divine enablement. That's all an anointing is. It's a divine enablement. He says, you have a divine enablement and you know all things. Well, if you know all things, why are you got to message me to find out what I say? <laughs> why, why do you have to go to the pastor for counsel when you know all things? I'll tell you why. It's because you, you're not convinced of grace and finished work and unconditional love and what you already possess by having the kingdom within you. 
That's what John's saying here, 1 John 2.20. He's saying, guys, you got, the, you, got a, you got the kingdom within you. You know all things. You have a divine enablement. And he goes down to verse 27. He gets more specific. He says, the anointing, the enablement which you have received from him, it abides in you. If it abides in you, that's where you pull it out from. You pull it out from within you. And you don't, you don't need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning everything, all things, and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. Let me say it again. He has done already for you all He is going to do. He's not doing anymore. Hebrews chapter 10. I feel like I still need to prove this legally to you. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11 says this. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And isn't that the life of frustration that we live doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, hoping that it would accomplish something that it never did? He's bringing an end to that. Let's read on. Let's read on. Verse 12, Hebrews chapter 10. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. Sat, why, do you, why do you do a job and sit down? You sit down when the job is done because the job is done and completed. He sat down. Watch what it says. At the right hand of God from that time, waiting until his enemies be made his footstool. The enemies become his footstool as you act on the kingdom that is within you. A kingdom that is not, not hindered by time or space or death. It is, a, it is a kingdom of which there is no end to its increase. So now he's waiting for us to act on what he has Freely given to us. Verse 13. From this time waiting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those that are being perfected. So Jesus sat down. All the work was completed. Everything in place. So what do, what do we want? He's, he's sat down. And what we want him to do, we want him to stand back up. We want him to stand back up and come do something to solve our problem. When in fact, listen, the problem solver lives in you. John chapter 16. I feel like I need to keep going and prove this some more. John chapter 16 and verse 12. <clears throat> Jesus said, I still got a lot of things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. A lot of things that we're hearing today, we're hearing today because we couldn't grasp it earlier. We couldn't bear it earlier. When you were living for Jesus, when Jesus was living through you, you couldn't bear some of the things I'm telling you today about the Christ as you life, living as a manifested son of God. But he goes on and he says in verse 13, John chapter 16, he said, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he will tell you things to come. He will guide you into all truth. So what, 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 what is it today you need truth about? Take that new job, start a family, buy a house, 
begin a bit. What is it you need truth about? You have the truth dispenser in you, guys. Come on. We, we don't believe the done. We don't believe the completeness. We don't think the garden, that the kingdom is actually in its fullness. And all we have to do is walk in that garden, walk in that kingdom, surf that domain as we've entered in through the password Jesus and the username I am as Jesus. And so what do we do? We want to go to others. We, compel, we feel compelled to have others join in us and hold hands and pray and go to prayer groups. And we think... The more that join us, the more it carries this fake idea that Jesus is then going to stand up and he's going to move because we've got a whole church full of people that are agreeing. When the absolute truth is, he's not going beyond what he's already done. Jesus freed the Father from giving him anything that the Father had already given him. That was the secret to the life of Jesus. He never asked the Father for anything for himself. Did you notice that? The Christ is us life will do the same thing today. John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus testified, and people don't pick up on this. I never heard a teaching on this in the way that I'm presenting it to you. John 13, 3, it says this. Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things and that he had placed all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Two things in that verse. The father put everything into the hands of the son. And the son knew his identity. He came from God and was going to God. What is it that, what is it that launches you into understanding that he's given you all things? It's knowing your identity. Knowing who you are. That you're a son in whom he's well pleased. And when you know you're a son in whom he's well pleased, then you begin to understand that like Jesus, he's put everything already into your hands. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus knew he had all things of the Father in his hands. So what was he going to ask for? If the creator of the universe drops everything into your hands, what are you going to pray for? Isn't it more of a situation of you pulling on what you have? Come on now. He was convinced of what he possessed. He didn't have any need to ask. How can you ask when you got everything in your hands? It was a right identity. Came from God, going to God. Paul, Paul, Paul prayed. Paul was the same way. Paul understood that the Father had given all things. There was no need to ask for what he already possessed. Let's read Paul's testimony about that. Romans chapter 8. Look at Paul's testimony about the same thing that Jesus just said. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if you're a child, then you are an heir of God. All right, that's the same thing. If you're an heir, then you possess all that the benef you possess all that the, the grantor gives to you. You're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. What did Jesus possess? All things in his hands. You're a joint heir with Jesus, Paul is saying. Therefore, all things that the Father put into the hands of Jesus have also come into your hands. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all Things. Now, there was a time that Paul forgot that. 
And so he's over here praying for a need that he has in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read it. And let's, let's see how God handled this. Because once you understand this, God ain't going back to come meet your need. He's not coming down out of the sky, out of the clouds. He's not going to supernaturally provide something for you. Oh, I can't wait to get into that in the days that are ahead. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 6. Paul forgot one time that everything, he was a joiner with Jesus. Everything was in Jesus' hands. Everything in his hands. And it says in verse, verse 6. He said, for I, though I, I might desire to boast, I won't be a fool. I speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And he says in verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. He goes on in verse 8 and says, concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times. I, I, I went into prayer. I'm really fighting for this that it might depart from me. And in verse 9 he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What did God answer? Paul's in here. He's like you. He's over in the prayer room. He's on his knees. He's crying out to God. Oh, God, take this thing from me. God, I just pray right now that you would move on my behalf, that you'd come meet my need, that this thorn that I've got would be taken from me. It's more than I can bear. And what did God come back and say? Did he say, Paul, I'll show up. I'll take care of it for you. No, he said, my grace, my provision, what I've already supplied is sufficient. Jesus understood all things were in his hands. Paul understood it. And even when he stumbled, God reminded him. Peter got the message. Peter understood that we no longer have to ask for what we already possess. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. This will change your life, guys. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as his divine power has given to us everything that pertains to life. Everything that pertains to life, he has given to us. What more is he going to give you than what he's already given? Nothing. There's nothing more that he can give to you than what he has already given. If Jesus understood we don't have to ask God for what we already have. If Paul understood, we don't have to ask God for what we already have. If Peter understood, we don't have to ask God for what we ought to have. We should understand it and practice it as well. You know what the call of the day is? The call of the day is to live as sons out of the garden of provision we call the kingdom of God, fed by the tree of life, Christ who is in us acting as the tree. Jesus never prayed for a personal need. Let me, let me ask you today, why do you pray when everything has been given into your hands? It, it'd be like me. Yeah, I, I don't know if you can see this on the camera. This is a $100 bill. This is a Ben Franklin right here. Now, I got this Ben Franklin in my pocket. What would you think? If I, if I came up to you and I was holding this like this, and I said, I said, Bill, I am so hungry. I, I, 
I would do anything for a Big Mac fries and a large Coke. And I would like for you just to hold hands with me and let's agree in prayer that somehow God is going to meet my need. That he's going to supply for me supernaturally. A Big Mac, some fries, and a large Coke. You know how good those Cokes are with those McDonald's fries, right? You can almost taste it right now. Uh, matter of fact, let's, let's just pray and believe God. And Fred, Fred is sitting there looking at me with a $100 bill. You know what Fred's going to think? I ain't praying with you. Why don't you just use what you already have? Why don't you use the prevent? You can go over and get a Big Mac fry and Coke and still have a lot left. This is a resource, all right? It would be like me praying God meet my need when he's already said, I met your need. You got a $100 bill in your pocket. Jesus was God's total supply and answer with flesh on it to humanity. Jesus walked and lived the life he lived outside of time, outside of death, to show us the life that we can now live in the kingdom. And he sent the Holy Spirit so we can, as Jesus is, be in this present world. You know how much faith Jesus has in you? He has way more faith in you than you have in yourself. Jesus talked about that. Jesus looks at you. He know, Jesus knows what you have in you, even if you don't. Jesus said in John chapter 14, here's what Jesus says about you this morning. John chapter 14, verse 12. John chapter 14, verse 12. He said, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, he that responds to me, he that walks with me, he that walks in union with me, he that lives the Christ is us life, he that walks as a mature son, the works that I do will he do and greater works than these because I go to the Father. Jesus looks at you and says, why are you living such a beggarly, lowly, time-constrained life when I told you out of my own mouth that what I did you would do and also greater things than I did you will do also? Why are you living in that position? Why are you begging and pleading and getting prayer groups and stadiums to cry out and plead and beg for what I said you already have? Let's read out verse 13. John chapter 14, verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, he said, I'll do it. Why? Because we're in union together. We're living as one together. That the Father may be glorified in what we do. Look, that, those three verses, 12, 34, they're about living the Christ life. It's, it's an inner working of you in Christ as you. Notice, notice, in, notice in those verses. The Father is not in the formula of receiving. The Father is not in the formula of getting. The Father is not in the formula of receiving. The only part the Father has in those verses is to get glory from what we do. The only thing the Father gets is glory. Jesus is saying, look, you and I together as one, we get this thing worked out. And as we do, as we live this life in union together, as you live as me and I as you, the Father gets glory from this. Let me, let me just give you uh, an example. Jesus, of not praying for a need, but understanding it was, it was already his. Here's a good example. One day Jesus gets word from his two biggest ministry contributors. Two biggest donors. Martha and Mary contact Jesus and they say, Jesus, 
The brother's sick. You need to get over here to pray for him. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, those are your biggest contributors. You better drop everything you're doing and get over there and respond now. What did the tree of life say? The tree of life says, just relax. You're not confined by time or death. The tree of life says, just wait. Father's voice in the spirit says, hold tight. So three days later, think about this. His biggest supporters say, come, and Jesus waits three days. They were upset. And when Jesus gets there, Jesus hadn't been fasting. He hadn't been praying in his spirit, getting himself all pumped up for, to, to meet this need. Jesus, I, I probably should read it for you. John chapter 11, it's so good. It's so good when you see this because this is how somebody lives that's outside time, outside death, doesn't have any sway on them. They listen to the voice within. They live in the kingdom within. In John chapter 11, verse 39. John chapter 11, verse 39. Then Jesus again, verse 38, with groaning in himself, came to the tomb and he saw the stone that was laid against it. And Jesus said, get the stone out of there. Martha, Martha the, the, the sister of him who, who was dead, said to Jesus, Lord, by this time he stinks. He's, he's been dead for three days, four days. Jesus said, didn't I say to you that if you'd believe, you would see the glory of God? You'd see the presence. You'd see it manifested? They said, yeah, okay. They took away the stone where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his voice and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. <laughs> what did he pray? He hadn't prayed nothing yet. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people that are standing, he said, I, I say this, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus said, the only prayer I'm praying is for the people that are standing around here. And then Jesus looks at it and just says, roll the stone away, and Lazarus, come on out of there. Jesus didn't ask God to do anything. How would you have handled that prayer? I know how you'd have done it. You'd have showed up, you'd have said, look, let's all gather in a circle. Martha, Mary, let's all come, let's hold hands. You that are over there by the tomb, come on over here. We need some agreement on this. Let's all hold hands, let's get in a prayer circle. If you can, call the church, let's get some more folks down here. And if there's some other churches we can get in agreement, let's get the prayer chains going. We've got a great thing now. Let's, let's, all, let's, all, let's all pray in tongues and get ourselves revved up a little bit because this, this is a big work here. Then you'd have prayed, Father, Father, we just ask you today, you know Lazarus, God. You know Lazarus, what a good man he was. And Father, we're just standing here in agreement. You said in your word that if one of us could put a thousand flight, two could put ten thousand. God, there's a lot of us here today. We're going to put all this to flight. So God, we're just asking that you do something now for us. We're asking God you'd come and, and touch old Lazarus' body, get him out of that tomb. Oh God, raise him up, we pray. Oh Father, just do a work that we can't do in Jesus' name. That's how we'd have done it. That's not how he did it. What I want you to see out of the story is this. I want you to see out of the story that the son walked in the fullness of the kingdom and he didn't have to pray a long prayer, didn't have to beg God. He didn't have to convince God to raise Lazarus. The power was already in his hands because he possessed all things. 
Come on, guys. Even before the cross, Jesus taught us to pray. He said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know what that means? That means that there is, an, um, there is a joining together of heaven and earth. That means when you know that you possess all things, that also means you know that heaven has invaded earth. The kingdom is an invasion of heaven to earth and it swallows up everything to what God has declared, done, and finished and placed into our heads. That's what the merging of the two will do. The last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death. Death is no friend of God. What brought death to man, you got to hear this. What brought death to man was eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The last enemy that will be swallowed up is death. You know how that will arrive? When we stop eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why I said at the very introduction, he's moving us out of soul into spirit. When we move out of soul into spirit, we leave the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You want to fast? You want to be a real faster? Fast eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When we come back and we eat from the tree of life, that tree of life will nourish us and there's no death in the tree of life. What's going to bring immortality? The promise is there will be a generation that death and sickness and old age doesn't take. We run our course and we transition. We'll come into a level of consciousness. All we'll see is that this is just a place that we are for right now, but it doesn't really matter where we are now because now always is. There is no past, there is no future, you always were, so everything is now. The gospel is the kingdom here and now, and grace is the means by which we encounter and experience the kingdom which is eternal. Okay, I'm out of time. I, I, gotta, I gotta back this off. You know what? We, for the most part, have lived on, not on things above, we've lived on things that are earthly, that are below. We've lived on soulish things. Let me give you this, this one last verse of Scripture, and, and I'm, I'm going to close. I think that's enough. Let me give you this. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul says this. He said, not that I speak in regard to need. Why didn't he speak in regard to need? Because he didn't have any needs. Now, religiously, we've looked at the last part of that verse where he says, I've learned in whatever state I am therein to be content. We've looked at that verse and said, Paul learned how to skin by with just the minimum. I think we've looked at that verse wrong. When he says, I, I, I never speak in regard to need, I ain't got no needs. He said, I've learned in whatever state I am, whether it's the state of Alabama, <laughs> State of Florida, state of Texas. He said, no matter what state I'm in, you know, even mental state. Mental state had nothing to do with it. He said, I've learned there that I still have no needs and that I am fully content. The only way you could ever be content is to not have a need. He's not telling us be passive or be in denial. Doesn't mean by, he, he, he means don't be affected by anything going on around us or against us. Because all these things going on around us and against us, they have no power. There's only one power, and Christ is your life. Every non-power, I got to get this out, every non-power that we have given power, that man has given power to, was taken care of at Calvary. 
Every power that we have empowered was in, dispowered at Calvary, right? It was unpowered. <laughs> and so now we have a knowledge that we have all things in our hands from the Father through the Son and the Spirit. We can cast down every imagination. We can cast those high things down, bring every thought into obedience of Christ because we're moving out of soul into spirit where they have no energy. You were designed to live that Genesis 1 life in the garden, in the kingdom where everything has already been completed and provided. It is finished. Adam was placed in the finished work of the garden. Jesus placed us humanly in the finished work of the kingdom. You have been delivered from the power of darkness and you've been translated into the kingdom. So this demonstration of the Christ life that Jesus walked it out before us, as our eyes open, as we begin to experience the realm of Genesis 1, we're going to also enter into that place of God's desire from the beginning where we can live a life of fullness apart from making requests in prayer. This teaching is all about consciousness. It's all about God awareness. That God consciousness, that God awareness translates into the experiences of life. Everything Jesus did, he did out of consciousness of the Father. He did out of full awareness of the Father. Everything that Jesus did, he did out of his knowing that he was one with the Father. So as you and I rise in that awareness, as we come into that consciousness, we're going to begin to walk in a place where we no longer ask the Father to give us what he's already given us. And we're going to begin it this morning by releasing him from it. That's the truth. When you know that you already have it, that will set you free, spirit, soul, and body. All right, I want to talk about this more Wednesday, but I want to stop it right there, and we'll, we'll continue. We'll move along this line. So this, this week's teaching was actually, I would title it, Don't Limit God. Don't Limit God. Walk out to the full fullness that he has placed in your hands, and let's continue to expand on it. Fair enough? All right. We'll see you Wednesday night, next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. You have a great week and keep Jesus at the very front of it. He is, he is your password, and you've got the username that I am as Jesus. God bless. We'll see you next time.